Uh, Carrie mentioned uh, the time that the men had together this weekend, and uh, I just want you to know personally how encouraging that was uh, to be with men of Melanie Park Church and to look out and see such a diversity of men represented, uh, young and old and people that have uh, been faithful to come to the men's retreat every year and then folks that are brand new to our church who are, are just, uh, and, and I spoke to a few just telling them how much I respected them for taking the initiative to go in a place where they might not know a whole lot of people, but by the time they left, I hope that they felt encouraged. Austin, glad you were there. Um, and so I, I really am grateful. It just reminds me of how blessed this church is to have such a great group of godly men and how blessed my life is uh, to be in relationship with men like that. So very, very grateful for that and look forward to next year. Um, with that being said, I want to bring up something that I learned about this morning. Uh, Carl, where are you? Can you stand up for me, please? There you are. And Pamela, his wife. Carl and Pamela uh, literally just moved to Lubbock. They uh, drove in last night, and he t told me this morning that the U-Haul, with all their stuff, broke down a total of four times before they ever got to Lubbock. And so uh, it was a long drive, needless to say. If you're new to Melanie Park and you think that's the way we... Uh, recognize new visitors every time don't be alarmed <laughs> I actually talked to Carl beforehand and I said hey do you mind if I mention uh, the help that you could use to uh, unload that stuff as that van has made its way into Lubbock and so he said I wish you would so you've seen you've seen his face and let me encourage you um, if you have some time today Carl could use some help uh, to unload that truck as they move from Longview Texas to to Lubbock Texas and we're glad you're here so um, how many of you know what a dendrochronologist is? Raise your hand. A few of you do. Okay, let me give you a hint. Dendro means tree. Chronologist is somebody who studies time. Does that help? So a dendrochronologist is somebody who studies time with trees. How many of you have ever counted the rings on a cross-section of a tree? Raise your hand. All right, so you're a dendrochronologist. All right? And, and what's interesting, it's actually very fascinating because within this cross-section of a tree is a library of information. In fact, in some of the oldest trees that exist, there's more information in that tree than we could possibly have on human record. Centuries and centuries of data that speak of uh, weather patterns and conditions of drought and, and disease. The reason I bring that up is because I think if we took a cross-section of the Corinthian church as we look at their lives, if we could examine them like the rings of a tree, what we would find is that they are in the midst of a spiritual drought. In fact, there is a disease of selfishness that has now infected this church, and so they have become in, in, in incredibly focused on what's right for me instead of what's best for us. They were looking more at the needs of the individual as more important than the body of Christ as a whole. Now, Paul has been addressing a particular issue as we've looked at this section of the letter as he's talking about how the Corinthians have made this decision to, to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Now, I understand we hear that today and we go, well, what in the world does that have to do with us? That's not an issue that we typically deal with. But let me tell you this. The heart behind it 
is very relevant to where we live our lives even today. Let me remind you of that illustration I gave you last week. Remember the trapeze bars? Okay, The Corinthian church has one hand on each bar. And they're just hanging there. And the longer they hang there, there's this building tension between the, the grip on devotion to Christ and worldly desires. And they've convinced themselves that they can have it both ways because they understand to let go of one is to swing in the opposite direction with the other. And so they've convinced themselves that they can have it both ways. They did not want their life to be inconvenienced by their faith. Let me say something in their defense. Do you remember when we began our study of 1 Corinthians, we took some time to examine the city of Corinth, that culture in which these people lived. Do you remember how many temples existed just in Corinth alone? Apollos, Aphrodite, Demeter, Poseidon, Isis. All those were just, and that's just a sampling of the temples that existed in the city of Corinth. And the general consensus of the community was, the more you worship, the better. Because if you isolate yourself to just one, you run a very high risk of offending all the others. And so the Corinthians, living in that cultural context, had made a justification. And so they basically said this, look, we know that those idols don't mean anything. They're not real. And so we believe that we can participate in these uh, worship festivals that go within our community because it's a, it's a social event. It's important for us to, to be involved in our community. Because in our heart, we know that there's really only one true God. Ultimately, they're defending their right to have it both ways. In our passage this morning, Paul's going to make the point that participating in these worship festivals builds relational bonds. And those relational bonds have an inevitable impact on your heart of devotion. Those relationships either draw you towards Christ or they pull you away. And there's no neutral ground. Paul will be very clear. You can't have it both ways. You have to decide where you want to be all in. And he's going to make it clear that where you invest your time and your relationships is of great importance to the body of Christ. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, I just pray as we take a look at a section of Scripture dealing with an issue that we might discount is irrelevant to our lives, that we wouldn't make that mistake, that we would see the heart of the issue behind it that is extremely relevant to our lives, that you would speak to our heart in our lives today, right here and now, and how we live in a culture of various demands in various places where we can invest ourselves and ultimately extend our heart of worship dedication, devotion. Would you help us see these things in a way that our hearts are drawn towards you? That we see the value and have great desire to grow in our relationship with you as a child of God, as a people of God, for the praise and glory of your great name. 
And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We will begin where we left off, verse 14. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Beginning there, Paul continues his letter and he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which you, we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the faith? Despite the fact that the Corinthian church uh, has become a people of compromise, uh, their faith being immature, their growth stunted, Paul doesn't lower himself to their level. Um, Instead, he speaks to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. His desire is to, to lift them up and to help them understand what it means to walk with Christ. His instruction is very clear, isn't it? It said, flee from idolatry. That word flee in the original language is based on the word from which we get our English word fugitive. So flee literally means run for your life. It's a serious command. The the image that I had in my mind as I thought through that is uh, somebody that you know and love standing next to a bomb. And and when you see that, you're not going to say, hey, Carrie, you might want to, you know, just a little bit more space. You know, just a little little more, a little more. No, you're going to say, if that exists, you're going to say, Carrie, you need to run. You need to turn the other way. Don't look back and get out of here. That's the emotion of what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. And it's actually a word that he's already used in this letter. Turn, if you will, to chapter 6, verse 18. Chapter 6, verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. You see, Paul understands immorality and idolatry as equally dangerous sins. He uses the same passionate word, flee, run for your life. The reason that he does that is because both of those sins are enemies to our soul. Both of those sins represent a destructive union. Both of those sins defile a covenant relationship, not only with God, but with one another. And when those bombs go off, the effect of that sin is widespread. It it doesn't just affect the person. There's a lot of innocent bystanders that are impacted as well. Innocent bystanders children families friends so that's the reason he has such strong language flee remember last week we uh, talked about that passage first corinthians 10 13 you can look back at it if you want to it says god is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able 
but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The idea here is God is providing a way and he wants you to take it. And so in verse 15, he says, be wise. But his communication to the church is, don't be wise in your own eyes. <laughs> don't lean on your own understanding. I want you to know the truth. And so you need to be able to trust in God in order to understand. And so he then comes to communion to help illustrate his point. We celebrated communion last week. And, and so I hope that the, the nearness of that experience together helps make Paul's point all the more relevant. And the reason he brings it up is because that communion meal, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, was a shared experience within the Corinthian church. And he asked them to consider, what do you know about this meal? And when he does so, he asks some rhetorical questions. The obvious answer is yes. Look at verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless, a sharing in the blood of Christ. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? The answer to both of these questions is yes. The point being, this is not just a cup of juice or a cup of wine. We are sharing in the body of Christ. That bread is a sharing in the blood of Christ. That word sharing is important. It's the Greek word koinonia it is a rich deeply meaningful word it talks about a loving alliance a deep devotion this is not some passing affection this is an intimate intimate relationship communion is not something that we do as a an observer set apart it's something that we do as we enter in and we remember personally the impact that that sacrifice which we are remembering has made in our lives. That blood shed for the forgiveness of my sin. That body delivered up so that I could be set free. The, the sharing of that meal should have very personal, very meaningful impact on my life. But he goes on to say, it's not just about you though. Look at verse 17. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. His point here is that communion is a corporate celebration. It's not something that we do in the privacy of our own home or the corner of our closet. We celebrate communion as a blood-bought body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, a family of God. Our individual faith binds us together as a body of Christ. There's a man by the name of Gordon Fee who has written a book that makes a point. And I've, I've marked it in this book and I've gone back and read it about a hundred times because I think what he says here is so true and it fits perfectly with what we're looking at this morning. Listen to what he says. He says, God is not simply saving diverse individuals and preparing them for heaven. Rather, he is creating a people for his name, among whom God can dwell, and who in their life together, their fellowship with one another, will reproduce God's life 
in character, in all its unity and diversity. In other words, our fellowship builds relational bonds that ultimately reflect the very heart and character of the God we serve. That's a big deal. But in our modern tradition, I think we lose sight of that. In fact, I want you to think back to even our celebration of communion last week. When that first plate came along, what did you do? You took your own individual little cracker. Second plate comes along. What did you do? You took your own individual little cup of juice. And I think in some ways it's a sad reflection of the way our society has developed. It's our own individual faith. But in the early church, in that meal that Christ celebrated with his disciples, they didn't do that. It was one loaf of bread. They each took off a piece and passed it to the next one. It was one cup. They each took a drink and passed it to the next one. And I think they better understood, because of their tradition, what Paul meant. I mean, look at what he says. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the bread. We see that they understand, and Paul wants them to really appreciate the importance of who we are as a body of Christ, that we are connected to one another. And that fellowship means something. And then in verse 18, it's almost like it's a a side note or an extra thought. He says, look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? And I, I think... When we read that at first glance, and, and I know this was my initial impression, was, oh, well, what he's probably doing here is trying to make a connection between those altar sacrifices and Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb. So he's making a connection between sacrifices and communion. And, and there are some parallels there. You can look at that sacrifice of the, the innocent lamb without spot or blemish, and you know that that ultimately was in, intended to point to the person and work of Jesus Christ as our sacrificial lamb. Perfect, unblemished, innocent. But because of what we talked about last week and where Paul goes next, I think there's a different look at this. Do you remember last week when he went through some of the history of Israel? And he talked about those false sacrifices and their participation in those sacrifices. He mentioned uh, the worship of the golden calf, the worship of the Moabite idols. And each of those false worship festivals, he he talked about how there was a consequence to that divided devotion. Paul says, these were recorded in Scripture. They're there for our benefit. They were written for our instruction. I think Paul may be looking back at those examples as he then moves forward in our passage to help them understand when you share in those sacrificial festivals you become participants in that celebration of worship and that divided loyalty when you try to hold on to both worlds has a destructive end and he's going to walk us through that look at verse 19 what do i mean then that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything 
or than an idol is anything. No, but I say that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to become sharers of demons. The Corinthian church has concluded that their participation in this pagan worship was no big deal. But Paul is reminding them that that fellowship builds relational bonds. And those relational bonds have an impact. In fact, that bond is being built with the worship of demons. It sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? They've justified their compromise based on their knowledge that there's only one God. And so none of that other stuff matters. And, and Paul doesn't necessarily agree, disagree. Look at chapter 8, verse 4. Chapter 8, verse 4. Look, look at what Paul has already told them. He says, therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we, including Paul, know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world. But there is no God but one. Here's the problem, though. There were many, in fact, most in that Corinthian community that did believe that there were many gods and they were worshiping them as such. And behind every false worship is a demonic influence. Behind every false worship is a demonic influence. And the pride of the Corinthians has made them blind to that truth. And they're walking right into the trap of the enemy. And the reason is, is because they're not thinking about anyone else. They're determining what's right for me, what I have the right to do. And Paul's trying to help them understand, look, idols are not just human inventions. They are demonic deceptions. And by participating in their fellowship, you are creating an alliance with demons. In other words, you think you're safe but you're dancing right next to a bomb. Now, that being said, let me be clear that, that Paul is not making the point that we can't be social with unbelievers. I mean, how can we have an impact with, on people that we care about without being in some sort of relationship with them? But what he is saying is this. Don't build relationships without a clear mission. Don't go in blind thinking that it's no big deal, that you can't be influenced, that you're bigger and stronger in some way. He wants you to know that those relationships have an impact and they should exist within certain boundaries. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's going to circle back around and reinforce this point. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living 
God. His point here is that we have a responsibility to protect the integrity of our relationship with God. It is a covenant relationship, which means it is an exclusive relationship, just like in the covenant of marriage. I don't share that love. My love is dedicated to one person. It is a covenant love. And we should have that same devotion in our relationship with God. It's a level of intimacy that is not to be shared with just everybody. Now, that doesn't mean you don't invest in those relationships that are outside of the body of Christ, but it is always with mission and always within boundaries. He goes on to explain in verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? Paul couldn't be more clear, could he? You can't have it both ways. I want you to follow Jesus, to let go of the desires of the world and grab with both hands on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Otherwise, your divided loyalty will ultimately provoke the jealousy of God. Now, how many of you are honestly in your heart a little bit uncomfortable with this idea of being in a relationship with a jealous God? Because if we're honest, a lot of times we think of jealousy and we immediately equate it with selfishness, don't we? Somebody who's possessive, who restricts freedom. For example, if my wife wanted to go out and have a, a night with the girls, be with her friends, and, and I was jealous of her going to have time while I have to be home with the kids and I wasn't going to let that happen, that'd be selfish, wouldn't it? It's a selfish jealousy. But let me create a different scenario and you tell me if the jealousy is still selfish. Let's say we go to a social event. And while we're there, I notice that there is another man making an advance towards my wife. Now, if I step in to protect her because of a jealous love for her, is that selfish or is that protective? You see, how loving would it be for me to just sit back and watch it happen as if it doesn't care and doesn't matter? No, I will not let somebody step in and steal what we have together. And it's that kind of jealous love that God has for you. He is unwilling to let somebody step in and steal that love. If you need any proof, then look no further than the cross. Because the enemy threatened to step in and steal that love by enslaving you to sin. And Jesus stood in the way. His death on the cross was a jealous love to rescue you from that which is intending to harm you. His love compelled him to sacrifice his own life for your highest good. It is a jealous love that is a protective love. See, if something threatens to draw you away from your relationship with him, he's not going to sit back and just watch it happen. His 
love, his jealous love, compels him to action. Now, as we think about this passage, I want us to consider what this means to us. And in some ways, I want us to think about what it means to be wise in our world today. How does this relate to where we live, in our community, in our culture? How do we build and protect that that bond of relationship with God and, and with one another within the body of Christ? And so let me give you three things that I want you to spend some time considering. The first one is this. Be secure in God's love. Be secure in God's love. Believe in your heart that He desires your highest good. So those things that you have and I have in our heart that we long for most, value, purpose, hope, joy, all those things that are common between all of us are ultimately fulfilled in and only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of imitations out there that promise those very same things. But rest assured, and many of you have experienced for yourself, it's only an imitation. It's a false promise. And those things are ultimately fulfilled only in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And His love is a protective love. Turn to Romans chapter 8. This is a familiar verse, but I, I want you to read this with me. And I want you to consider this passage as an evidence of the security that we have in God's love. And here's my hope, is that you read this and understand the magnitude of this love, and it is convincing enough for you to let go of the things that hold you back and be all in with your love and commitment to Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 8, verse 35. What shall separate us? From the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, listen to the security, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the security of the love that we have within our relationship with Jesus Christ. And He will not stand back and let anything draw you away from that love that intends to accomplish your highest good. So be committed. Be all in. Into that love. Now, in addition to that though, we need to be committed in our relationships with one another. God's design requires interdependence. And our small group did a study by Chip Ingram. And he, he made a great point that I've never thought of before. And it is this. He was talking about strengths and weaknesses within the body of Christ. And we oftentimes spend a lot of time talking about the gifts 
and we go to 1 Corinthians 12, which we will eventually get to, and we look at those gifts that are given within the body of Christ, and, and we want to find out what our gifts are so we can really be used to, to maximize our gifts. And there's nothing wrong with that, but here's something to consider. In the same way that God has gifted you with strengths, he has also gifted you with weaknesses. And the reason that he's gifted you with weaknesses is because somebody has a strength that serves a weakness in your life. And when those things coexist, we are interdependent upon each other. We need each other. And that's part of God's design. And not only in that love and dependency that we have for one another, it is a reminder of ultimately our dependence upon Jesus Christ, who apart from him, we can do nothing. And so we need to be devoted to our fellowship with one another. Should we reach out to those who don't know Christ? Absolutely, we should. But we should build our deepest intimacy with those who do. So that we can encourage each other towards love and good deeds. Don't minimize the impact of the influence of those outside of the family of God. Because there's one of two things that are happening. You're either being drawn towards Christ or you're being pushed away from him. There are no neutral grounds. One or the other is happening. Remember, part of our mission as a body of Christ is for our love for one another to display the character and the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us. So for that reason, we need to be committed to the fellowship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. The last one is this. Be unwilling to compromise. Tax season is just finished. I sh should have given you this one about a week ago. <laughs> because the tendency, I think, sometimes is to look at our taxes and say, you know what, I think the government cheats me. What difference does it make if I cheat them? Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. Don't compromise. Some of you are in situations where your friend might invite you to go to a movie or to a party. If you're older, you might be invited to be in a business relationships. And sometimes those don't honor Christ. Don't compromise. When others are gossiping about somebody that you know, don't compromise. You and I are faced every day with opportunities to compromise. And that's why we need to encourage each other so that we stand strong in the face of those temptations and we don't compromise be more committed to being a disciple of christ than being a friend to the world risk rejection for the purpose of honoring christ prefer to be faithful than be divided in your loyalty see our decisions our relationships as paul's communicated very clearly accomplish one of two things and there is no neutral ground they either draw us toward christ or they push us away and so you're here this morning and some of you have not even entered into that relationship and you're probably finding as i know i have in my life that all those offers in the world around us are ultimately empty and so i'm inviting you to consider the truth of the message that the deepest desires of our heart are ultimately fulfilled in and only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Now, now some of you are here, and you're here. You're hanging on to the best of both worlds. And my encouragement to you is to let go of the desires of this world and grab with both hands to the devotion and love of Jesus Christ. Some of us are here this morning, and we just need to be reminded that what we do here together is not just a part of our routine, it's a part of our mission. And that the love that we have for one another ultimately displays the very character of God to the world around us. And we need to renew our commitment and our devotion to one another for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to Christ. So wherever you may be this morning, I want to take some time to pray and I want to ask you to just go before the Lord on your own and allow him to speak to your heart. So let's pray together. Father, I don't know exactly where each person is this morning, but I'm confident that they're in one of those three places, either considering for the first time what it means to be all in, uh, letting go of the world and, and being fully committed to following you, maybe even considering what it means to, for the very first time, entrust themselves into a, a relationship that is secure, that fulfills what it promises, that delivers the hope and, and joy and peace that everything else around us promises but never delivers. And there may be some even that are reminded this morning of the commitment that we are to have for one another so that when a brother of Christ moves into town, has a trailer full of stuff and knows nobody, that the body of Christ comes around him to care for him in a loving and caring way. Father, help us to not get caught up in the Corinthian trap where it's all about us, me, personally, the, what my rights are. And help us instead to consider the needs of others as more important than our own. And as we do that, we, may we experience the fullness of that blessing. May we understand the great gift that we have been given through our fellowship with one another and our relationship with you the, lo the lover and giver of all life who seeks our highest good to the praise and glory of your name. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, our blessed Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great day.